The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 25, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He just says, let me just tell you what I think. I think that in view of the present distress... It's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So we're to live as people who are really single-minded on mission because this world is going to pass away. And so we want to live in light of that reality. So as I think about speaking about disconnected singles, when we were dividing up this series and I saw that I was going to be having this talk, it reminded me of one of the first trips that I took to do a pastor's conference in Rwanda. Danny Cunningham and I were flying over to do a pastor's conference. We were going to be in a church that had a roof, it had walls, but there was space between the walls and the roof. Most of the pastors in this conference would be walking 30 kilometers many days just to get to their church. And the topic they asked me to speak to these pastors about was how to do ministry in a difficult context. And I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Maybe I could talk to my East African brothers about how to run long distance next. What in the world? I grew up in the Bible Belt. I minister in the Bible Belt. And you want me to talk to these guys? They should be teaching me. And so some disclaimers as I began to talk to singles about a gospel proposition for singles. I'm married. And my story's not your story. And things went really, really easy. I met my wife. I saw her. She was sharing her testimony on an August night in 1998. And I heard her share and I thought, I want to marry that girl. And August 1999, I did. So in a lot of ways, I don't really feel qualified to speak to you. Second disclaimer about this talk is desiring marriage is not a bad thing. And then the third thing I think for us as a body is that truth about singleness matters both to the single and the married because collectively we are the body of Christ. So with these disclaimers out of the way, there's a gospel proposition that I believe is good for all of us, but impacts singles in a unique way that's good news that I want to speak to today. Some of you are here and you're single and you're, you've never been married. And some of you will be one day. Some are single through divorce. Some are single widows. And some of you are single and you'll be single for the rest of your life. And there's a myth in culture that says being single, you're somehow incomplete. And sometimes we contribute to that. You might be here and single, and maybe you've heard things like, when are you going to give me grandkids? When are you going to get married? You know they have apps for that now. (laughs) 
And there's this myth that if somehow we're single, we're incomplete. But it's a myth. And here's a truth that we're going to embrace that we'll see how it's uniquely good news for singles in Christ. Here's the truth. The resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what is meant by God's first command, be fruitful and multiply. The resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what is meant by be fruitful and multiply. So let's go and look at that first command given to a married man and a married woman, Adam and Eve, pre-fall in the garden. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. See, the goal here is that the image of God, God created man and woman, male and female, in the image of God, and the goal is that the image of God will be reflected over all the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why? So that the glory of God can be seen over all the earth, so that the worship of God can take place over all the earth. And that's going to happen in the Old Testament, primarily among God's people through procreation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, Genesis 2, 24 and 25, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. So Adam and Eve are going to have sons and daughters, and then they're going to have more sons and daughters, and those sons and daughters will have sons and daughters. And then we get to this guy named Abram, who's going to be the father of the Israelites, the father of many nations. And God gives a call to Abram, And he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He's old, he hasn't had any children and God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. How in the world is that going to happen? And I'll bless you and you will be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's this hint that's coming. How in the world in me are all the families of the earth going to be blessed? We're going to see that later in the New Testament. But for Abraham, it means through the miracle for an old man and an old woman, the miracle of procreation, this baby Isaac, the baby of laughter is going to come. And then God says to Isaac, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Isaac, you're going to have an offspring, and I'm going to multiply this offspring as the stars of heaven. You're going to have lots of kids. The image of God is going to spread over all the earth. And then Isaac has Jacob, who becomes Israel, the father of of the 12 tribes. And God says to Jacob, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in your offspring, this hint again, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth. I think that means a lot. My youngest two children, they go to a preschool here in town and we love this preschool except for one thing. The playground is a playground of sand. And it's, I mean, it's just horrible. So these kids come home, my five-year-old, he wears a size 12 toddler shoe, and you take that shoe off, and you dump it out, and there's about 65 pounds of sand in it. And it spreads all over the house, all over the garage. We got, we just, I mean, we could sell sandboxes. So when I read Dust of the Earth, I think that means a lot of people. They're going to spread. There's going to be many, many, many. 
So through procreation, the image of God is going to spread through God's people. That's how that's happening in the Old Testament. Procreation was so important to the expansion of the kingdom of God. It was to be through the people of God, and their collective community would be a light to the nations. In fact, Exodus 1-7 speaks of how Israel was multiplying, and it bothered Pharaoh because they were being fruitful and multiplying and filling the land. The image of God is spreading, and it was a front and a threat to this false god. See, in the Old Testament, God's people obeyed the command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth through marriage and procreation. Through marriage and procreation. Marriage, procreation, and then the mark of circumcision, those were the marks of God's people. But the resurrection of Jesus changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply, and that's really good news, especially if you're single. And we can see that the resurrection of Jesus is going to change what it means to be fruitful and multiply, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, this prophecy about Christ's death on the cross In Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, it says he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, well, what in the world does that mean? He was cut off out of the land of the living. His name couldn't go on. He was never married. He would die without children. His name couldn't carry on. He was stricken for the transgression of his people. Now, Isaiah 53 doesn't end there. Verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Well, what in the world does that mean? He shall see his offspring. Because Jesus never married. He never had any kids. How is he going to see his offspring? Well, the answer is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. And we're going to see this over and over and over. We see it again in Isaiah. In the midst of these messianic prophecies, this pops up a lot. Isaiah 53, 10 finishes, and Isaiah 54 speaks the same truth, that the kingdom of God is now advanced through spiritual reproduction, through making disciples. Isaiah 54, 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Well, how can this be? If she's desolate, if she's barren, how can her children be more? It's because the resurrection of Jesus changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. In Isaiah 56, he says it again in verses 3 through 5, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord... Say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall be cut off. I'm going to give them a monument in a name better than sons and daughters. This is going to be a special thing. When I thought about that monument, I thought about statues, and you know how I think. I thought about Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium, where if you win a national championship, you get a statue. 
Daryl Royal has one. Mac Brown, I have one. I walked down to Gary's office and I said, hey man, what do you think about this illustration? Talking about statues after you win a national championship, you get a statue. And he goes, oh yeah, we got those in Baton Rouge. That's a great idea. I turned to walk out of his office. He said, wait a second, you, you can't use that illustration. Nobody from College Station or Lubbock will know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, that's right. That's, I can't do that. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Somebody's letting the air out of their brains. Y'all be careful there, all right? Don't mess with a guy with a microphone. Here's the thing. It's a beautiful thing. A name better than sons and daughters. Now that's amazing because of what the scripture says about children, which really matters in a culture of death like ours. Children are an inheritance from the Lord, a reward from the God of Jacob. Children are a blessing. I, I love it. We got five at my house. We consider it a success if we haven't stepped on one by breakfast. <laughs> but he says to, to the eunuch, to the single who keeps my command, I'll give you a monument and a name even better than sons and daughters because the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. It's spiritual reproduction. In the New Testament, we see this happen. A guy named Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he says, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do the things you're doing unless he comes from God. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. How can a man go into his mother's womb a second time? I don't, I don't get it, Jesus. I weigh 185. My mom weighs 25. This is not going to work. And Jesus says, you must be born of the Spirit. It's a new birth. Spiritual reproduction is happening. That's now what it means to be fruitful and multiply. Explicitly, it's this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and to multiply. It's to make disciples. It's spiritual reproduction. Now we're going to come back to Abraham. I'll make you the father of many nations. So the Scripture says of us now, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now stay with me. We're about to get why this matters so much to singles. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, who was the father of the Jews. But God was going to justify the Gentiles by faith. And you, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed. So to be fruitful and multiply is to gather this family of God's people from all the nations. All the nations. So later on in Galatians 3, it goes beyond just saying we're the children of Abraham to saying in Christ we are the very children of God. That's really good news. So we're all now complete, not through having a spouse or children, but, but because in Christ we're the children of God. Some of us are waiting for that Jerry Maguire moment where we can see this person that we think completes us, and that person actually won't ever complete you, no matter how wonderful they are. We're complete in Christ. And here's a concern, though. Here's a concern. I think it's easy for anybody, but maybe especially for singles, just to be anonymous. Just to kind of think we're in this holding pattern, and we're 
waiting until we get married to be on mission, until we get married to really dive in and connect in the church. I was, uh, before, I, before I was missions pastor here, I used to travel and speak, and I was doing a camp in Colorado Springs. I had been at one camp in Mexico. I came home and was home for 24 hours, jumped on a Southwest Airlines flight to Colorado Springs, and we're going to Colorado Springs, and we're supposed to land, and then I've got about four hours to get ready for what will be the first of eight sermons in four days. And so I'm going to read back over stuff, be ready to go. And the pilot comes over, and you can tell we're just kind of holding, and he's circling, and he says, there's a cloud that's descended on Colorado Springs, and there's not enough visibility, and we can't land. And so I am just frustrated. I'm just kind of thinking, I mean, I'm not a pilot, but like how much visibility do you really need to land a plane? apparently more than we had that day. And I sat there for 15, 20 minutes just frustrated. And I thought, what in the world am I doing? I've got something to do today. And I took out my Bible, I took out my notebook and started reading over and had this great time with the Lord, really getting ready for what was next. Being with Him on purpose. So if you're single, there's this truth that we're going to see of what Jesus says about family that would say for you and if you're married that we don't wait to arrive. We don't wait to land, that our plane has landed in Christ and we're part of the family and part of the mission and there's a a work that God has for us to do. Are we going to get married one day? I have no idea. You might or you might not. You may have been married and now divorced or widowed. You may be single for many days like my grandmother was for the last 17 years of her life where she lived in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. The idea, though, is that we're the family of God. And so there are three truths about family in Christ that we need to see and then three calls to us that I think can be really helpful for us if we're single. And the first is this, is that Jesus Christ redefines what it means to be family. Jesus Christ redefines what it means to be family. See, if you're in Christ, then we are family. And some of you understand this really, really well. Because there are people in this room that you're closer to them than you are to any of your blood relatives. Because you're in Christ. I got a text this week from my brother in Rwanda of a brand new little baby girl. And when I saw that text, it wasn't different. It was the same as when I got these pictures of my nieces and nephews that were born in Shreveport and in Biloxi and in Scott and White. And I had just such joy because my family's expanding. I got a, a, a picture like that last year from Ukraine of a little baby girl. And I think this is family. We're just family together. See, Jesus is teaching and his, his mom and his brothers come outside where he's teaching. He's still speaking to the people and his mother and brothers are there and, and a man tells him this and Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He redefines what it means to be family. So our hope for satisfaction isn't tied to having a spouse or children. Nothing wrong with desiring a spouse and children, but our hope for satisfaction is no longer tied to that. Rather, we have found in Jesus a new family, and we're part of the people of God who he calls his treasured possession. Jesus redefines what it means to be family. Then second, Jesus promises a new family. 
He promises a new family. Jesus has, has just been talking to the rich young ruler. And he comes to him and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he says, well, I've done, I've done this from birth. So Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. And follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he went away sad because he was a man of many possessions. And so enter the disciples and specifically Peter, who was never short on words. I think Peter's business card had the same thing that my business card has on it. Often wrong, but never in doubt. So Peter reminds Jesus. He comes up to him and he says, hey, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. And so Jesus responds and says, truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, no one has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. I, I read that verse when I was on the Arabian Peninsula when I learned of a a new brother in Christ there on the Arabian Peninsula. And I thought about this young man who's come to faith in Jesus. And when he tells his family about his new found faith and how he's following Jesus, here's what's going to happen. He's going to lose a government stipend that's one of the most wealthy government stipends anyone can receive. He's going to lose his ability to have a job in his nation. He's probably never going to Mary in his nation. But he's got new brothers and new sisters, and he'll have new spiritual fathers and mothers because the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. So someone in his nation shared the gospel with him and now is leading him to know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus doesn't just promise a new family. He provides a new family. He provides a new family. We see this throughout Paul's teaching, and I want us to read this and understand the implications of it. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and it's a hard letter because they have some hard things going on. He says to them, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ... You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I, if you know my story, you know my dad, um, my dad left when I was 11. And as I think about that, I just think over and over and over how the Lord's always put a man in my life to help me know what it looked like a little bit further along in the journey. It was my Uncle John who led me to Christ. And then it was Jeff Hazelton. And then it was Wayne Aiken. And then the list goes on and on and on now to some of our elders here that I just look up to as these men in Christ or men across the sea that I look up to. Paul says, you, you've got many guides, but not many fathers. When he writes to book of Titus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the mercy of God. And then he says to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father in Christ Jesus the Savior. He says to the Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. I tell you, we tend to think of these things like they're just a shadow of biological family. But here's the truth. Single or married person, biological family is just a shadow of spiritual and eternal family. I kind of liken it to this. Sometimes people will walk up to me when I'm with some of our adopted kids, or they'll walk up to Laura, and they'll go, hey, do you have any kids of your own? And my first response is, they they can hear you, actually. (laughs) But then I go, yeah, these are my own. These are my own. We got our oldest, who's about as pretty as her mama is, and then we've got our 14-year-old biological son who looks kind of like me, except he doesn't have gray hair or a gut. He's not as funny looking, a little more handsome, you know. And then we've got Jeb, who's from Rwanda, who looks nothing like me. Man, he's my own, just like the first two are. And then we've got number four, Mac, who everybody thinks must be biological because he and I kind of look alike. And then we've got Will, who doesn't look much like me. And they're all five, our own. They are ours because we're family. And see, there's this even greater reality that in Christ we are family because the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. So we grow through spiritual reproduction. And here's this beautiful truth that John Piper says for singles. Christ came into the world to call out a people for himself from all the families of the earth and into a new family where single people in Christ are full-fledged members on par with all others, bearing fruit for God and becoming mothers and fathers of the eternal kind. The barren one has children more than her who has physical offspring. Hear me, it's not that marriage is bad. It's just not ultimate. Marriage is a good gift and a bad idol. Eternal relatives are primary, not secondary. And one day we'll experience this beautiful marriage where men or women, single or married, we all become the bride of Jesus. So if marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, singleness and devotion to Christ is a picture of Christ's single-minded devotion to the Father's will. See, Ephesians 5 would tell us that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. But when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. Or in verse 26, I think in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is for the present world and its form is passing away. It's because singleness and devotion to Christ is a picture of Christ's single-minded devotion to the Father's will. One pastor says it this way, marriage and singleness are meant to expand the kingdom of Jesus and display the glory of Jesus. So singleness, whether temporary or permanent, is meant to make much of Jesus Christ. And I think about singles that I know that are doing that in this city. I think about a single lady who's doing it on the Arabian Peninsula, one in France, one in Nigeria. I got a call from a a 26-year-old single who's part of our body about six months ago and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to take a, a mission trip for about three months. And I talked to this agency and they thought I should give my missions pastor a call and just make sure the church is on board with it and everything's good. And, and I said, okay, well, well, where are you going? And 
And she said the name of the city, and I was just struck with silence. And she said, do you know where that is? And I said, yeah, that's where Osama bin Laden was killed. And she said, yeah, that's right. Just all happy about that. And uh, I'm a missions pastor, right? But I, I've got kids. I've got a daughter. And I said, well, tell me what you're doing. And she just went on to explain what she's going to do for the sake of Christ with excitement. Is she called the missions? Uh, she doesn't know. I don't know. But she knows she wants to make much of Jesus Christ. Singleness, whether temporary or permanent, is meant to make much of Jesus Christ, whether you do that in Central Texas or Central Asia. See, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, Sam Albury says, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Sam Albury, you may know his story. He's a British pastor who has struggled with same-sex attraction, and he said, rather than pursuing my own desires, I'm going to live single for the sake of Christ. Pastors of church in England. And he says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency so that God gets the boast and we get the blessing. God gets the boast and we get the blessing. Singleness for the sake of Christ isn't centered on me, it's centered on Him. And you might hear that and go, well, wow, you're making it sound like this isn't all about me. And that is correct. But that's really good news. Because whether married or single, when we're on mission, as part of the family of God, we're living for this beautiful cause so much greater than our small ambitions. So what do we do if we're to live single for the sake of Christ? How are we going to do that? Just three things. Number one is that we're to live surrendered to the person of Jesus. We're to live surrendered to the person of Jesus. Here's something you're going to hear me say, and you're going to hear me say a, a lot, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to say this. Because I've been, I did mobilization work when I was traveling and speaking for a few years, been missions pastor for 10 years, and you can't imagine how many people have just proactively walked up to me with a smile on their face and a light in their eyes going, I love what you do, but I'm not called to missions. And I just kind of want to go, okay, because I don't want to send anybody who doesn't want to go. So here's the truth. Here's the truth that we need to see. The idea that a believer would go wherever Jesus calls him or her to go, be whomever Jesus calls him or her to be, and do whatever Jesus calls him or her to do has nothing to do with whether one or not is called to missions. And everything to do with who gets to be king. The idea that a believer would go wherever Jesus calls him or her to go, to be whomever Jesus calls him or her to be, and do whatever Jesus calls him or her to do, has nothing to do with whether one is called to missions and everything to do with who gets to be king. So who's going to be the king? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be me? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be you? Oh, God forbid that it be me. Now, please hear me. I don't want to send you all to the Arabian Peninsula, right? It takes about 100 people to support one. I only want to send about 30 of you to the Arabian Peninsula. But the idea that we would go where he wants us to go and be who he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do right here in central Texas is really just about who the king is. So we, if we're to live single for the sake of Christ, have to live surrendered to the person of Jesus. So when singles are living for the sake of Christ and not pursuing satisfaction through sexual fulfillment, it shatters the values of the world. It confounds cultural ideas of fulfillment when with our very lives we say with the psalmist, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. 
When we say your love is better than all this life has to offer, even if that means marriage. So single people and married alike, we really in Christ have to live, surrender to the person of Christ. And then second, we have to live in community with the people of Jesus. We've got to live in community with the people of Jesus. One of my favorite moments every week at, at TBC is when I park on Wednesday mornings and I walk into our Creekside building headed toward our staff meeting. Now, it's not staff meetings that's my favorite, though that is kind of one of my favorites. But there are these ladies meeting in one of the rooms in Creekside and and it's a widow's ministry, and these widows gather together, and they go in there having lost their spouse, but still having a family. That's one another, and they care for one another, and they love one another, and they serve one another, and they do things together, and you can hear laughter coming out of that room, and joy, and you see somebody hurting or struggling, and then there's somebody coming along to bear their burden, who knows what it's like, and is loving them well, and I just see that, and I think, man, that it's family. That's family. Or when I hear about TBC serving, one of the consistent things I hear over and over is how this group of young adults we have, some single and some married, are loving one another together in Christ, are serving together in Christ, are seeking the good of our city together in Christ, and are sharing Christ with people. I, I asked some folks that are presently single and some who are single for a while and who are now married, or there's some things that the church has done wrong, things the church is doing right, things that you'd have singles here. And one guy said, you know, for me, it's about making the gift of singleness, this moment where I serve, where I obey, where I share Christ as much as I can with the gifts that singleness gives to me. One of the ladies who's single for a while and now married talked about how for them, we really consider the singles in our lives part of our family, our homes open, our pantries open. They know that that we love them as brothers and sisters because we are brothers and sisters. They're living in community with the people of Jesus. See, the idea of being disconnected is so far from the plan of God. I hear people say, I've got Jesus and that's enough. And I just kind of cringe because it's not his intent that you would have him and that be enough. It's his intent that you would have him and be part of his people living in community with the people of Jesus, surrendered to the person of Jesus, and then finally devoted to the mission of Jesus. So I don't make a habit of taking issue with Charles Spurgeon very much because people call him the prince of preachers. And they don't call me anything, but they'd probably call me the pauper of preachers if they did. But I'm going to take issue with him this morning. There's this phrase Charles Spurgeon says. He says, if you're a Christian, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And I get the idea, but that's not technically true because missionaries have moved from their land, learned a new language, they're living cross-culturally. But here's what is true. If you're a Christian, you're either on mission or an imposter. Because the resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes what it means to be fruitful and multiply. And we are to be a people who are making disciples, spiritually reproducing, becoming mothers and fathers, whether or not we ever have biological children. We have spiritual children. So to the singles in Christ here today, I would say that God has sovereignly granted you the gift of singleness, whether for a season or a lifetime. 
God has sovereignly granted you the gift of singleness, whether for a season or a lifetime, so that you can be about the most important thing, making disciples for the glory of God with the people of God. That's the most important thing, that we would be together making disciples for the glory of God, loving one another, serving one another, sharing Christ with one another. Now, at times, this singleness may not feel like a gift. And that's okay. It's no sin to desire marriage. And I'll tell you, as a pastor here, if you desire it, I'm going to desire it for you, ride along with you, and pray for you that it comes about. And at the same time, enjoy this gift that you have, because in Jesus and as part of his family, we have a place of belonging. It's greater than any biological family we could ever imagine. We have an eternal purpose greater than anything the world has to offer. We have a new name, we have a new identity, and we have a new family. So be connected to that family and be connected to the mission we're on together. Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness to us, and thank you, God, for this great reality that through faith we are the children of Abraham and, and even the adopted children of God. We just praise you for this. We thank you, God, that we are part of a family. God, I thank you for people in this room, even married and single, who have taught me what it means to live and love like Jesus. And so, God, with this reality of a new family that Jesus has defined, promised, and provided, Help us, Lord, whether single or married, connected to one another, to surrender to the person of Jesus and to live in community with the people of Jesus, devoted to the mission of Jesus, that in all things, he might get the glory and we might get the grace as we seek to honor him together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.